could we please not have police on set? Yeah, we're going to need private security. It costs more money. Uh, could we please, as you know, black uh, performers, could we have hair and makeup artists who know what we're talking about? Well, we can't find them and it's going to take longer. We're going to have to delay production. Mm-hmm. Money. It yep. all comes back to open your wallet. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm the founder and editor of LaineyGossip.com. I'm a talk show host in Canada and also an entertainment reporter. And my name means floral. Of all the things I never expected to hear, I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer. And I have been yelled at on a set in the very official place of outside around the corner of a warehouse. On this episode, following our episode last week with Kathleen, understanding more, not completely, understanding more what it means to work while Black, we are examining workplace structures and how some of them might need to be modified or even torn down in order to accommodate our new reality to make the workplace work for everyone. The answer to the questions of why has anti-Black and other racism existed on sets in Hollywood up to now tends to come down ultimately to one common denominator. See if you can guess what it is. This is Show Your Work. we get into this week's discussion, um, I have uh, I have something new that I learned about names today that go on. I, <laughs> I thought would interest you. Um, so I uh, I'm I was naming a character. I'm working on something, and I was looking into a name of a character, and she is Chinese, and I needed to ask my parents about you know naming practices. Uh, particularly with girls. And I learned that it is customary for some of the names that I've, the Chinese names I've been growing, I've grown up hearing for girls my whole life. Actually, I mean, I didn't really deep dive into their meaning. And my ma explained to me that so many of the girls' names that I know mean something about their parents' uh, their parents' wish fulfillment to have a boy. Oh, so, I didn't. So yeah, Chinese Chinese names, right? Not yes. the English names that Chinese people. No. In. Okay, go on. So the Chinese characters. So there is. I mean, it's. I'm trying to do the exact translation, but so there is one of like a name that you might hear 
let's say that the family name is Chan. Yeah. And the, then the Chans have a girl and mm-hmm. it's their first girl or the a firstborn. Yeah. They will name this girl, the, the name will be um, uh, Plus Infant. So her name will be the Chinese character for child, like baby or infant or descendant. And um, it will be matched with the Chinese word for additional. So her name will be her parents' wish to have a boy. So break it down for it. So what I'm hearing you say is that the name might be uh, Chan. Give me a, a standard girl first name. No, it's, there's no first name, really. Um, okay, but what yeah. you're saying is that the, the name might be uh, Chan Child plus one. Essentially, be, it's a, it's the reverse. So it'll be Chan plus child. Right. As yeah. opposed to a boy name, which would just be like Chan child or Chan legacy or something like that. Sure. Yeah. But in this one, it's uh Chan child, Chan daughter plus hopes, essentially, is what you're saying. Correct. Like keeping something in store. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I'm. That's fascinating. Okay, yeah. very interesting. And of course, these are like thousands and thousands of years old. So the like the practice, yeah, the practice is thousands of thousands of years old to complement, for lack of a better word, um, like a patriarchal family tradition. Right, but you're also talking about characters, right? Like it's not like you can then, uh, can you choose a character that doesn't include that kind of a thing? Um, that is just like Chan, daughter, full stop, we're done. Is do, do such characters exist? You could. It's it's not even a character. You could match words. You could choose the word for full stop, daughter. You could name your child Chan, daughter, enough. Right. <laughs> if you wanted to. Know. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is, I mean, I... That's fascinating. Um, I think I've uh, I've certainly written about before. I don't know if I've talked about like the the gender names are amazing in Ghana. There are specific gender names that are given to all children based on the day of the week that they're born. So uh, there's a set of names for both boys and girls born on Tuesday, for both yeah. boys and girls born on Saturday, right. et cetera. Um, I don't know what would happen if you were given, you know, the name of the uh, the sex opposite to the way you present when born, but that's fascinating. Yeah, I I, I will say, like I should mention, my Chinese name has nothing to do with my parents' wish fulfillment for a boy. Like, you know, my Chinese name has meaning, but it has nothing to do with the meaning is, is my Chinese name was chosen to complement my mother's Chinese name, but... Um, now I think about all the people I know whose names are actually about their parents' wish fulfillment for a boy. And I know many of them. I'm related to some of them. So wait, break it down for me. So your Chinese name, I know you've said it for us before. Say it for us again. 
So my family name is Louis, right? So Lo yeah. is the Cantonese pronunciation of my family name, Lo. And then my Chinese name is Yeok Fan. And my mother's Chinese name is Yeung Guai Fong. So my name Fun and my mother's name Fong were chosen to complement each other. Because they sound alike or because Fun is also uh, like meant to be or understood to be a derivative or a smaller of Fong. Uh, I can't, I don't have Cantonese pronunciation. Fong <laughs> um, is, both of them have floral notes. How about that? Yeah, okay, I'll take yeah. that. Yeah. Like uh, like a child called Lily uh, to relate to her mother, Rose, is the idea. Ish, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's the okay. best sort I gotcha. of, yeah, it's the best connection I can make there, but yes. So that's how my name was chosen, but other people, like I, again, I'm related to people, I know lots of people whose names, now that I think about it, are the, the plus child. <laughs> you mean you're related to lots of girls whose uh-huh. name means plus child. yes. And they Amazing. have young and they have younger brothers. <laughs> wow. So it's so it works is what you're saying. On top of being like a little uh, a little sexist and a little unfortunate, it's also effective. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is that like, listen, look how old I am and I never knew this. So they're walking around not knowing this. Like there are, you know, it's and that is like that is the ongoing discussion is people who are like me um, of the East and also of the West, how much we delve into these aspects of our culture, like break it down and understand what the mechanics are and what the the granular, how you, when you drill down on a granular level, what things mean. Um, it's a lifetime of research and curiosity. Well, it's funny you mention that because I'm looking for a name for a type of uh, person or descendant. Uh, I really like, you and I have talked about the phrase, um, third culture kids, right? Mm -hmm. Kids who uh, are born in one place and raised in uh, another or like who have a culture in one place or born in another and raised in the third place. So in that version of things, if your parents are Chinese but you're born in Canada, but then you move to Belgium, right? Like that kind of idea. But I'm also interested in uh, the name for people who, whose uh, grandparents or or whatnot may have immigrated and then assimilated. And then the grandchildren or great grandchildren are the ones who are like, oh, I want to uncover my Irish or Russian or Chinese heritage. Um, Like the, the, kind of history seekers. I, I need a, a name or a phrase for those guys because I'm finding that to be an interesting, uh, an interesting, what do we call it, subculture that, uh, that I yeah. want to refer to without as many words as I just used. Yeah, I, I am not in the creative space to make up that word today, but if you're out there listening, help Duanna out, come up with it. If you are that, what do you call yourself? Yeah, if you're a, whatever, a heritage forager, fill us in. There you go. So thanks again to Kathleen, who joined us last week to talk about working while Black. And as we said at the end of that episode, um, a lot of our ongoing conversations now, as we try and process this moment and the change that is being pushed, um, how we can change in our own workplaces and what changes need to happen in workplaces. And since we 
talk about Hollywood and the business of film and television as a workplace, we're going to get into on this episode how that, like the complexion of working in Hollywood is already changing or being forced to change um, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Thank you too to so many of you who have written to us and said that you were listening, that you were interested. Um, one thing that we've all heard a lot over the past couple of weeks uh, and a lot before that is that uh, Black people are not here to educate us on anti-Black racism. So uh, today, as we talk about what changes will happen in uh, the entertainment industry and other workplaces as a result, um, we're we're educating each other on on the regular and uh, and answering questions or dealing with issues that come up that people don't know how to deal with. It won't always be perfect. Uh, we are learning as we go. And there are issues that everybody agrees need to change that maybe people don't know how to adjust to just yet. Um, but uh, but that's what we're doing here is continuing to to keep the work going by questioning the things that have been unquestioned up to now. So the biggest Hollywood workplace story of the last week, um, really, I mean, there's so many of them, but I think the one that kind of was trending and people were writing think pieces about it was Leah Michelle. Right. Um, and even that is wrong. Sorry to interrupt you, Duanna. Even that is wrong because I just centered Leah Michelle in the story and it was actually an account shared with us by Samantha Marie Ware. Um, so again, as you just said, still learning, still checking each other, still mm -hmm. focusing. So it was, to recap, Sarah, uh, Samantha Marie Ware um, pointing out on Twitter in response to Leah Michelle's tweet in support of Black Lives Matter that, hey, actually, Leah, you are super cunty to me when we work together. Right. And, you know, it's it's stuff that we've seen before, right? Uh, one person, one celebrity makes a statement. Uh, the other person does a quote tweet or similar to say, by the way, this doesn't wash with what I've seen you do in private, right? Which is, I think a lot of people in the past have kind of reacted negatively to that kind of public call out that it is, it's not two people DMing each other and saying, oh, actually, by the way, did you know, it's being upfront and public. Um, and I have some opinions about why that might have been uh, the way that Sammy Ware chose to to do it. But uh, but I, I wanted to acknowledge up front that there was a time uh, as recently as, you know, two and a half weeks ago, when that would have been seen as unfair or too uh, aggressive to use a, a buzzy term mm -hmm. to, to do something like that, right? But we're yeah. in a new time. We're in a new time when power structures and status quo is being challenged. And that is like, that is the underlying issue behind Sammy Ware's revelations is exposing the power structure that happens on a set in this industry when you are not anywhere near number one on the call sheet and the person who is number one on the call sheet is walking around pushing themselves, pushing their weight in your face and 
often being abusive and often being racially abusive. And obviously Sammy Ware had all those boxes checked, but right. The bigger conversation is about, this is an industry about stardom and about influence. So what happens when essentially you achieve the purpose of this industry and then use that achievement to suppress others? Yeah, I've been thinking all week about what we call, um, there's a there's a phrase that, you know, comes up a lot in terms of benign neglect or uh, our not benign ignorance, but sort of ignorance of, uh, of omission, that kind of thing. And uh, both of those are in inadequate terms for what we're about to talk about. But I think that what we've kind of decided to broach today is all those existing structures that were so ingrained that uh, nobody would ever think of them as being uh, racist behaviors, right? This is part of the issue is that a lot of people thought that racism is being overtly uh, uh, violent or abusive to people who are people of color, but that there are behaviors we've all endorsed, all understood, all accepted that are nonetheless uh, racist and uh, anti-Black and silencing anyhow. Mm -hmm. So as unbelievable as it sounds, because even though Glee was cast entirely with unknowns, Leah Michelle was kind of already a deal back then. She'd been on Broadway and Spring Awakening. She's kind of the star. She has a voice. And then Ryan Murphy is Ryan Murphy. We've talked about him many times on this show and probably delighted in having a diva of types. I'm glad you're bringing this up straight, going straight to the heart of it, because first of all, we have gotten messages from people in relation to this Leah, Michelle, and Sammy Ware story and saying, okay, but where does the buck stop? And does the boss, the leader who's, who is supposed to set the tone for the workplace, bear some responsibility? So let's go right to the top with Ryan Murphy. Sure. How do then, how do we, or do we hold the people like Ryan Murphy and any time, like, I mean, we just don't want to isolate it to Leah Michelle because again, this shit happens on a set all the time. But in well, general, since we have a specific example, yeah. How much does Ryan Murphy wear and how do we change that? Yeah, I, I think we have to step back a half step and say that uh, you talked about number one on the call sheet and that we tolerate behaviors from people who are considered to be the star, right? I would just also expand that slightly to the left or right and say we we extend a different set of behaviors to people who are the breakout star or who are carrying the show. Uh, there are, I think you could take almost every critical headline about Leah Michelle and, uh, search and replace for Shannon Doherty mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. Right. And the headlines would be almost identical, mm -hmm. rude, dismissive, uh, attitudinal, uh, 
putting herself first. I don't think that there are accusations of being racially insensitive because 90210 never had a non-white <laughs> right. person on that set ever. Right. Um, but the point is, as terrible as Shannon Doherty was, she, as late as she was, as rude as she was, she always nailed her scenes on the first take. She always came in and could make the production run, which this is going to be a theme, I suspect, in this episode. If you follow the money, you will follow the reasons why there isn't equality, right? So my yeah. point being, Leah Michelle being super talented in her vocal performances or in the millions of theater kids who identified with her is seen as a it's an asterisk, right? It's a it's the and you were talking about names earlier. It's Leah Michelle is the lead, she's number one, and she's almost single-handedly numerically bringing in ratings or viewers or sales for us. So when we talk about why is this allowed or what's the power structure, um, I just want to say the power structure is about uh, the personality, but then also about the associated cash and money. And on top of that, if, yeah, as you mentioned with uh, Brenda or <laughs> Shannon Doherty and also Leah Michelle, if they're nailing it immediately, it's also an efficiency that is important. The, 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 the issue, like you have to remember that in order to change or in order to deal with things, you, it takes time. And time is money. Shutting oh, something oh, yeah. down. And that's, there's another, that's another layer to your cash point, right? Well, Which is that, that is yeah. actually, yeah, that's sort of, uh, I should have been more specific, but that's yeah. actually, you can measure it in dollars and cents. If yeah. Leah Michelle nails her song on the first take or the second take, then we move on and so forth. And maybe somebody else needs five or seven takes and that's okay. We're still going to make our day which means we're not going to go into paying overtime to the crew, uh, which is time and a half. Everybody gets uh, a time and a half after 12 hours um, times 100 people on the crew. That adds up very quickly. There's insurance penalties. She could be seen as literally saving people money daily, daily saving people money. And so when, and I, I couldn't even hazard a guess, but I would say that each any given hour of overtime on a set the size of Glee is going to be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like right. that's a $100,000 penalty that day. Right. So the logic goes, and I want to be clear, I don't endorse this, but if somebody says uh, Leah Michelle is a dick to me or Leah Michelle said something racially insensitive to me mm -hmm. or Leah Michelle shut down people of color, then Absolutely. I can see the brass looking at it and going, huh, is she a dick? Sure. Are we making our days every day while the show, you know, two stages over is going mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars into overtime? Um, eh, do we care? Yeah. Or do we want to care? Can we afford to care? Yeah. Like, like uh, we're not seeing a production problem. We're not seeing yeah. a uh, a problem with what we are doing. So too bad. Yeah. Would have been the attitude. And I think it's about as, I don't know, Pollyanna or as Mary Sunshine 
as this sounds, it's about kind of reframing that problem instead of looking at it at she's a dick, but she nails her songs and we save money. It might be that tweak like she's a dick and she's going to cost us money because the right thing to do is to shut down the scene or shut down the situation when she's being a dick. And that's going to cost us money. Do you know what I mean? It's a different way to approach the problem. Absolutely. It, you have to assume in that framing uh, that there is a, a phrase that's so overused, I hate it, um, but uh, you have to assume there's a zero tolerance policy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, every time somebody complains about uh, a racist remark or even a, a rude and dismissive remark that makes them feel othered and removed, then we have to shut down the set. Yes. Imagine if that was the case. Yep. Imagine. I think we all still have, um, uh, you know, the phrases that have been said by actors that have been brushed under the rug. I think we all still have some of them burned into our minds, right? Yeah. The ones that come to mind for me are Isaiah Washington on Grey's Anatomy. Yep. Um, the... Uh, Christian Bale. Yes, I was going to mention. Yeah. Uh, And I believe there's a Russell Crowe as well. Right. Like a screaming rant that was captured on set. Imagine if all of those automatically triggered a shutdown. Mm -hmm. Imagine the way actually that sets have to be shut down or at least paused when there's an injury. Yeah. Imagine if all those comments it triggered a shutdown, triggered, you had to get some sort of certification to re-up. Absolutely, that mm-hmm. person becomes a huge financial liability. Um, and I don't know if that is something off the top of your head, but I think it's brilliant. And we should push for uh, actors to uh, include that in their inclusivity writers because it's yep. brilliant. Hit them, where they're, hit them where their wallets are. I mean, but that's also why... And I think most of us, whether or not you're in the business of show or in another industry, I think that's why preemptively for so many years we've been conditioned to avoid being inconvenient. Okay, fine. I mean, yeah, we can raise that. And sure, okay, uh, you know, picture someone scrambling and shuffling some papers and having a very, very concerned face on. But you do know that if we move forward with this, uh, it's probably going to cost the company um, a lot of money. And, you know, we're already up against budgets and uh, people are going to know it's you. Yeah. And, y- and that, right? Not only right, but that attitude is pervasive no matter how big or small the uh, the expenditure and no matter how big or small your role on the production, um, I have an example that is uh, it, that is uh, not related to bad behavior, but that I think will underscore this point quite well. Um, I was uh, an executive producer on a project. I was very proud of the project. Uh, and actually, as it happened, we had been looking for uh, a lead who was... Uh, who was Asian American, a female lead who was Asian. Um, And we'd written the name, uh, the character name. Uh, I think I probably called you to ask what name I should use. And we'd written a Chinese name. Ultimately, 
the actress that we cast was Vietnamese. She was not Chinese. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you can understand why she was submitted for that part. Mm-hmm. So I needed to change the character's name mm-hmm. to be a Vietnamese name. Yes. Um, and that costs money because you have to clear it. Uh, if you've ever heard a weird name on television, uh, it's because a more common name didn't clear. You have to send it to the legal people to make sure that you're not accidentally uh, maligning somebody with the same name, right? Yeah. Like you have to not, you have to make sure there's no Tony Soprano uh, who could actually be, think that you're trying to imitate them. Right. And so... Uh, when I went to to say we need to get this done, knowing that it costs what it costs, yeah. I got pushback. Mm. Um, and I got pushback from somebody who uh, is is a person of color and frankly, somebody who I adore and think mm-hmm. is is wonderful. But the initial pushback was, is this necessary? This is money spending. Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And I and I point this out because um, the the idea that you've said that we don't rock the boat at all costs because of money that crosses all borders. I'm an executive producer in this case. The person who's pushing back at me, like don't spend the money is a person of color. And so that supersedes all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, I said to that person, uh, you know, if we, if we don't change this, you are literally saying they all look the same and the cost to us is worth, uh, making not only this actress feel seen, but assumedly people who are watching feel seen. And I want to also be clear, that person came around uh, and was was quite vocal about, oh, I get it. And you, you know, I didn't see why. But the instinct first is always save the money first, ask yeah. questions later. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So let's go back to Ryan Murphy as the person who oversees all the money or is responsible for it or it stops with him and the network. So where then, where can we expect or hope for leadership to change when it's already Ryan Murphy, who's done so many great things who's led so many initiatives. 50-50 is one we've talked about on this um, on this podcast before. Um, and that would be his initiative to um, have 50% representation. I mean, you can explain it better than me, but, you know, three years ago he was already doing this, or five years ago. Yeah, this was about uh, gender parity. Um, That's that right. 50% of people uh, in all departments would be women. Um, and I also bet he didn't have a problem doing that or finding those people, right? Like Ryan Murphy has always been uh, a supporter of women, Mm -hmm. a staunch supporter of women, uh, to answer your question about how do we change somebody who, and this is key, I think already thinks they're doing some of the work, right? 
Um, I think it's about peers, first of all. Yeah. I think to appeal to Ryan Murphy, you have to have Shonda Rhimes. I think you have to have people who know what he's going through. Look, I love to run Shonda Rhimes, who did not tolerate fuck shit. Not for very long on her set. Nope. No, she didn't, um, which is not to say that Grey's Anatomy has been perfect or any of the Shondaland shows have been perfect. There are, uh, I think that's an important thing to point out as well. Even in situations where it's Shonda Rhimes who does not tolerate fuck shit, um, it doesn't mean that there are perfect places. You can be people of color and still making mistakes. You can be women and still be uh, not supporting other women. Um, and you can be a person of color and still perpetuating anti-black racism. Um, yeah. I bring up Shonda Rhimes uh, because as much as I love to run my mouth, I, um, you know, I don't know what, Ryan's Mur- what Ryan Murphy's life is like. You need somebody who is his peer to be able to say to him, look, we're going to do this initiative on our show and this is why we think it's important and this is how it's going to look good on you and make your sets better. Right? Yep. So, and when you talk about what that could be, I really like your idea of um, a penalty or a shutdown every time there's a, a racialized remark. What has to be done, I think, to make that the case you and I've talked a lot in the past months about uh, diversity coordinators, which is not a job that used to exist. Uh, mm-hmm. People who stage and protect performers in during the, the filming of sex scenes. Um, and I think, frankly, yeah, you need somebody to be a designated. Uh, do you know that on every single set there is a fire marshal? I don't mean like somebody from the fire department. I mean, somebody on the set who's a member of the crew, an AD or an actor or a somebody is like tapped on the head like you're in the emergency exit seat and is like, you have to take on the role of rallying people up if we have a fire. And you need those people to be designated, um, frankly, uh, the racism police on sets. Um, to be able to send up the alarm. Uh, I can hear people groaning and wincing as they, as I speak. Um, but we're not doing better. And one of the things that we heard over and over from Kathleen and from other people is that, uh, the, the slights Mm -hmm. that are happening, um, the, the anti-black slights or the, uh, the shutting down of, uh, voices of, black and people of color in workplaces are things that, uh, that white people don't hear yeah. that, uh, other people don't hear even when they happen in front of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we need people who are like, I'll call that out. I'll say yeah. that thing. And probably five or six or seven, not just one, uh, to make sure that that occurs. But also it's, I love your point about things that white people don't hear or people that non, or things that non-black people don't hear because, you know, like, for example, when we talked to Kathleen last week and we were talking about story pitches and um, why stories get shut down, we talked about, you know, the Susie in Saskatchewan and the Mary in Massachusetts. And that phrase, if a story is pitched, hey, we should talk about police brutality today, today. 
And someone at that meeting says, oh, this is the third day we talked about it. I mean, like Mary in Massachusetts doesn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. That for a white person lands differently than it does for a black person. You mean lands differently for the white person who pitches that? No, no. It lands, if you hear it, if you're white. Yes, yes. And you, yeah, are, I think- you are present for that conversation. Yes. You yes. are, you don't participate, but you hear someone saying, a black person saying, or somebody else saying, hey, we should pitch this about police brutality. And someone else says, Mary in Massachusetts doesn't care about that anymore. If you are even a bystander and you happen to be a non-black person, that doesn't hurt you as much as it does a black person. No. It might fly right over your head. Yeah. It sounds like, oh, they don't care. That's not our show. We shouldn't do that. As opposed to uh, trans. Your life doesn't matter. That's right. And more specifically, our audience doesn't care about you. That's or right. our program doesn't care about you enough to raise this issue to yes. people who don't care. Yes. Yeah. And I'm bringing this up because a lot of us are so used to, or at least seeing depicted, the most egregious aggressions. That's why there are macroaggressions and there are microaggressions. So as you said, whoever the racism marshal is, also needs to mm-hmm. understand the difference between, not difference, but the, the relationship between macro and microaggressions and to be able to um, like also send the warning up the chain, not just when it's an egregious one of those like uh, uh, an offensive slur or whatever, but the micro ones too. In your opinion, um, uh, they're not the same word, but in your opinion, are dog whistles and microaggressions the same thing? Oh, good question. Um, You know, a dog whistle, for those of you who haven't heard the expression, meaning uh, something that sounds benign enough if you don't know the implication. But for those who do, it's very clear. Um, An example is if you say that... uh, you know, somebody who is black is so articulate. The implication being, of course, uh, you're so articulate and I'm so surprised because you are a black person. Yeah. For example, or somebody who says to, uh, you know, a a non-black person of color, oh, where are you from? Yeah. Kind of thing. Is a dog whistle and a a microaggression the same thing? Or No, I think they're different. Yes, they can. There's a Venn there, but I think that not always. I don't think that they're synonymous all the time. Because I think part of what we're talking about is training people, Uh not only like everybody has to be trained across the board in what those uh, what those microaggressions are, including ones they might not know about. Yeah, totally. I think, yes. Obviously, and that, yes, training needs to happen, but also I think we also, we need to understand as we have all been learning and we've been having these conversations that it, it oftentimes isn't the thing that is slap you in the face offensive uh, according to the black and white, this is racism rule book. The nuances that accumulate over time, over days, over months in a workplace can be just as harmful and wounding. Um, and these are the things that are harder to weed out. Harder to weed out, harder to identify, but 
easier as a result to rack up 10 in a day without realizing. Yeah. So we just talked about your suggestion of, of, you know, like people have fire wardens at work. I tried to be a fire, fire warden at my work, by the way. Um, there what happened? Like, what do you mean you tried? Well, I, I put myself forward and jokingly, like we joked that there was going to be an election for it and I would be up against the per- a person that we worked with. Um, and then like, I don't know, nothing happened. I, I was, there was never like an official process of who, you know, an invitation or maybe I was making too big of a deal of it and you don't really get an invitation. You just grab the hat and you just run with it. But like, it's not like I knew when the meeting of the building fire marshals were like, I, all of that is a mystery to me. And I had openly declared, I put up like posters or other people put up posters around the building being like, Lainey wants to run for fire warden. But I, mean, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> maybe they thought you were joking. Maybe they were, uh, maybe they, who knows what, but, uh, I, you know, find out. I mean, we're joking, obviously, but I think that one of the reasons it's not totally a joke is because anything uh, of that ilk that brings you into the inner circle mm-hmm. up to and including being the fire marshal can allow you to find out more about the the processes in your workplace or where the issues are. And if yeah. you were a a diversity marshal or so forth, um, getting to hear people who, I think this is a point that is going to be increasingly important. I think there are going to be people, I know there are people who make those microaggressions unknowingly uh, who are not intending malicious intent and who need to be told anyway. Like yeah. both things are and can be true, right? Yeah. Those people can have those opinions because of baked in racism. Uh, like when I say that, I mean uh, structural uh, societal racism. Uh, they're not in, and in some cases would be horrified to know they were being offensive or, uh, or harmful. And they need to be told in the moment. Yeah. Like both things are and should be true. So in addition to, yeah, having maybe an appointed either official or unofficial person um, who might be the racism marshal for lack of a better, uh, I guess this is a common theme this episode, naming the title of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would say four or five, like don't put yeah. all of that on one person so that they have, you know, so that they don't then get pressured to don't yeah. tell or et cetera. But and I know that there are going to be people who will write into us and say there is already a person like that at my workplace. It's the diversion and diversity and inclusion officer. And the thing is, is that I I understand and I think those people are very valuable from a community building standpoint. But I don't know if the like, hey, uh, the the we will report you aspect <laughs> um, element to the racism marshal job is built into diversity and inclusion officer. You know what I mean? No. It, and it's so, too and it's too fun. It's it's not fun. It's it's too it's it, it's not aggressive enough. No, and it's and frankly it is that one person can't be everywhere and it's unfair to ask them to be the educators, which those people often are in their workplace, right? The initiative starters and also the the policers, um, it's a lot to ask of one individual. 
Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, that that person isn't that and shouldn't be that in in that particular way. But you know what? Related to that, which, you know, I think will would come up next in a conversation is, hey, Lainey and Duanna, that's what HR is for. And well. I think it's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I do think that that is a good place for us to go next. Right. Um, look, there are many people who deal in uh, workplaces of all kinds who talk about the fact that HR, look, here's a truth that I cribbed shamelessly from Ask a Manager, which I talk about all the time, the writer's Alison Green. HR is there to protect the company. They're mm-hmm. not there to protect you. Yep. They may protect you if your being protected is going to also protect the company, mm-hmm. but they are not there to, to be there on your behalf. That's yes. not what they do. But specifically when we're talking about sets, um, HR doesn't really exist. Um, the power structure on a set, remember that a set, we often talk about, oh, the set of Glee or the set of whatever. But if you're on a movie uh, or even on a show with a ton of locations like uh, Insecure or The Americans or something, there is no real consistent set even. You're in a different place every day. Uh, generally speaking, the idea is that if you had an issue, you're supposed to complain to your department head. Uh, but depending on the day, what you're shooting, where you are, you may not even see that department head. You may not be able to get in touch with them. Uh, you know, maybe they're doing a split shift because you guys are shooting till 4 a.m. And when they come in at 5 a.m. as you're leaving, they say, God, I was up all night with my sick baby. Uh, and then do you say, you know what? Somebody said to me something kind of weird as we were passing by in the in the craft truck or something. Um, it's it's the transient nature of film and television and the uh, informality of it also lend to this. It, they lend itself to this kind of situation where, um, you know, Things can slip by unnoticed when, again, it comes down to money. Everybody's so worried about making their mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Um, and you, every day on a set, you get a, a call sheet that says the number of days left. Uh, so often you get a call sheet that says day 35 of 88. Yeah. Uh, and so you're always aware of what kind of a mountain you have to climb. And it can be hard to think, oh, I'm just another person with a problem. Yeah. Uh, and you're certainly not going to be able to have time off to go and call HR. Uh, yeah. And actually, I think that uh, The Assistant, the movie that uh, that Kitty Green yeah. made about a fictional uh, assistant of a Harvey Weinstein type really illustrated this, um, that the assistant in that situation basically had to slip out under cover of night to even be able to get to HR let alone have a complaint listened to. And then when they got to HR or when they got to the, when she got to the place where she may have wanted to raise a complaint, um, it was made very clear, very quickly what you were saying about HR acting on behalf of the company and not 
for the well-being of the employees. And listen, if you're out there and you work in HR, I get it. Maybe what you're hearing right now is you're going to it's going to make you feel uh, uncomfortable or defensive of your profession. And and here's the thing. I don't think this is the first time you would have heard this. No. Many people out in the world, show business or not, have a distrust of HR. Some people have great, great experiences with their HR, but it's it's not like we're not pulling this out of our asses and being like, lots of people don't trust HR. It's a, it's a thing. It's a thing out there. It's generally known that, um, not generally, but more often than not, it's not a rare thing to hear someone say, I shit, I went to HR and they either did nothing for me or they betrayed me or it ended up like they talked me out of something that was right. And I personally have heard from many people who who have told me that they've gone to HR and HR has ended up selling them out and going to the person that they were making the complaint about, thereby compromising them. So I wonder and, what- and it, yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but just to be like, just to be- fair to the people in HR, they do that because that's the written process, right? Um, the process in HR is, oh, if you get a complaint about somebody, yeah, uh, you go take that complaint to them and say, hey, here's this accusation against you. How do you plead, basically? Yeah. Um, and I mean, th- so they are doing their job because that's how they're told to do the process. Uh, that said, um, you know, that process may have been enacted. I'm, I'm feeling some madman vibes out uh-huh. of that process. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like where it originated, who wrote it and that's at, right. And what time in culture it was written. Exactly. Um, and this is something that we're talking about with a lot of, um, established structures in our society, like policing, a hem, um, mm-hmm. that, these are the rules because somebody made them that way. Yeah. Not because they necessarily function best when they are this way. And so I think if you are in HR, it's maybe time to look at how HR is performed. Who is it for? If HR may not have the greatest reputation in a sample of 10 people and only five of those people are like, yeah, yeah, I believe in HR. And the other five are like, no, HR is a bunch of assholes. Then your profession, like all of our professions right now, it might want to get under scrutiny. And for you, yeah, to actually fundamentally change how human resources is carried out. For sure. Now, I will say, too, uh, I never expected to be sitting in the the seat of defending HR. Um, But one thing that is difficult is that uh, there are are jokes abound that, uh, you know, television and film are HR nightmares at the best of times. Uh, Not that there's always an HR department, but specifically when you're talking about scripted, when you're talking about fiction, uh, because you necessarily need to talk about and discuss and debate the dark underbelly of uh, things that might otherwise be uh, offensive to discuss, right? If you're on a show that's dealing with serial killers, you need to talk about the darkest shit that serial killers do. Yeah. If you are, if you have a sexual harassment storyline in your show, you might be talking about that. If you are talking about, you know, 
I don't know, the the most ribald scenes in Sex in the City, then guaranteed people in a writing room and on a set are going to be talking about their personal sexual experiences and other things that are generally considered in the biggest sense to be, uh, you know, HR violations at work. Um, but uh, that's why I think we need other workarounds like uh, like sort of diversity officers or things of that nature or more check-ins, more like the other thing is if you have a job in TV or film, that's, I don't mean like working at an agency or in acquisitions at Netflix. If you have a job that's not nine to five, uh, you will never, ever, ever have a performance review or a check-in with your boss unless there is an issue. Um, and usually if that issue exists, somebody's going to scream at you like uh, out side the warehouse that you're working in. It won't be formal. It won't be documented. It won't be anything. Maybe we need to install those as well. Um, Because you know what I was thinking is, you know what people are scared of? You know what works is people are afraid of IT, right? (laughs) Yes. People are terrified that shit they email, shit that they like say, whatever could be uh, could be highlighted, could be sent to their bosses, could be the reason they lose their jobs. And we've yeah. seen it happen, right? Yeah. Like it's like IT in enough cases follows through. Now, is it a police state as a result? I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but people are rightfully uh, concerned and watch their behavior because they're afraid of IT how do we make them equally as afraid of repercussions of uh, behaving badly, speaking badly, et cetera? Um, that's where all of this comes back to. Whatever you call them, uh, call them HR, call them diversity, uh, you know, sort of marshals, uh, call them snitches yeah. and pay them a little extra. I don't care, but yeah. this is what we're talking about. You need to actually make people afraid because there's been no consequences. Yep. And all of this is, I mean, listen, we singled out HR here just as an example, but I think that everybody, especially now in Hollywood, post Leah Michelle, and as Hollywood as an industry continues to push for like, hey, it's it's not Black Lives Matter isn't just, I mean, for sure, right now, the catalyst is the killing of a black man at the hands of police officers. But Black Lives Matter is also about the dignity of black people in all spaces, including workspaces. And so we're all sort of reexamining what those workspaces mean. And Kendrick Sampson, um, who's an actor, we know him best probably from Insecure, talked to The Hollywood Reporter. He's been on the front lines of the protests in Los Angeles. And he said something really interesting that I actually, you know, I'm glad that this example that he gave was so specific about what a workplace looks like and who's allowed to be in the workplace. So I'm going to read the quote. The quote is, Kendrick Sampson is asking for Hollywood execs to be conscious of the work environments they create for Black talent. Quote, If Hollywood really wants to honor Black creatives, think about the trauma we face seeing officers when we come to set or events after the things we experience every day. Why don't we have any private security on our sets? This is compounded trauma, and this is the experience that a lot of Black folks in this industry have and come into the room with and come into their creativity with, which I I am like, oh, shit, 
you know, it did not occur to me what it would be like to get to work and see a police officer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing that can be incidental. The same way that if you saw cops at the mall, you know, you're not going to be afraid then. You might look at them and wonder, are they on their way to the food court? Or like, is there severe something going down at the body shop? Um, but it doesn't actually make you tense and afraid. And you're at the mall by choice. It's not your workplace. And and these are sensitivities that, again, you know, we talked about what lands for people and what doesn't, right? These are sensitivities that probably wouldn't land for you and me. And, um, but it's completely different if you are a Black person, an Indigenous person, this is the reality. So uh, these are the these are the kinds of conversations that are happening in the industry right now down to like who is welcome on set and you know should we rethink the complexion of what a, what a set looks like um who's allowed to be there and why. Yeah, and you know, I never expected that when we started to have this conversation today that every single reason uh, you know, that we, we are bringing up issues, but then we're also sort of trying to highlight what the pushback would be or what the answer would be. And uh, I knew some reasons would lend this way. I didn't think that every single reason would take itself back to money. The, uh, the reason that police are on set as opposed to private security, although uh, you know, I'm not sure specifically what Kendrick Sampson is referring to. I definitely have seen situations where uh, uh, where private security is on set um, has to do with insurance, right? Yep. They uh, those sets in all likelihood are only insured to be protected by uh, official police presence and not by private security, or it would cost mm-hmm. twice the amount to get private security uh, yep. into the same space because, you know, police are obligated to protect uh, a California workplace or something. Um, it, it always, always, always comes back to money. Uh, and it's really, that's what all these requests are going to be about. Could we please not have police on set? Yeah, we're going to need private security. It costs more money. Uh, could we please, as you know, black uh, performers, could we have hair and makeup artists who know what we're talking about, who know what to do? Well, we can't find them, and it's going to take longer. We're going to have to delay production. Mm-hmm. Money, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, could we train people so that they know what those microaggressions, dog whistles, whatever are, and uh, you know, and put them in positions where they can sit? Money. It yep. all comes back to open your wallets. And we've only focused this part of our conversation on sort of the the structures of the workplace. Like the Yeah, the mechanics of production yeah. and uh interrupting it or not to yeah. uh to eradicate anti-black racism. We haven't actually even explored it on the creative side the actual content side, the storytelling side. Which is its own uh, quagmire of issues and more baked in ideas that I think we're going to pause and dive into 
full scale next week, right? We are because this is something that is happening actively in Hollywood right now. As they're pushing to create change within the structures, those pillars that uphold the creative process, the actual creative process is also being challenged. And they've been some great examples already. There will be more examples that we're going to see this week, and we're going to get to that next week. As we continue as creatives ourselves to challenge ourselves and our own creative processes. And all the reasons why uh, things up to now have seemed like they haven't been possible to change. And the truth of it being, maybe you just didn't know how. Maybe I just didn't know what to say. And so you choose to say nothing. So thank you for listening. Um, Speaking of saying nothing, the best thing to do when you're not saying anything is listening in this time, as hopefully many of us are doing. And thank you for sending us your questions and your thoughts. Uh, Again, we know that many of you have said, uh, I I haven't always known what to say or what questions to ask. And uh, I... We haven't talked about this, Lainey, but I want to say you can send them to us. You can send us the things that you don't know or that are uncomfortable or that confuse you. Uh, We will not call out your name unless requested, but we will try to address those things because that's what we're doing. We're breaking down the learning and what we have to unlearn step by step together. So keep those emails up. Keep those messages up on Twitter. uh, DM us on Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for listening to show your work. Thank you for doing the work of of all of this change as to be part of part of this allyship of change. Um, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.